cup at your own risk. I tried to tell you. Welcome into Fantasy Football Today, <laughs> DFS on Tuesday, October 26th. Frank Stanfield joined, as always, by Mike McClure and Sina Jad here to recap our Week 7 lineups, take a look at who won our FFT DFS contest, also who won the Stanfield Bowl between... Uh, my dad and myself. Then we'll get to early week eight pricing and we'll wrap up with some Thursday night football showdown thoughts with the Packers at the Cardinals. Unfortunately, looks like Devonta Adams will not be playing in that game. All right, Mike, I'm just going to start by asking you, how was Texas? Because uh, the Chiefs crushed all of us in week seven. Yeah, I can say that uh, I'm glad I didn't stick around here in Nashville for that game. Uh, Texas was nice. My week was not so nice. Um, Salvaged a little last night on the showdown slate, but overall it was terrible. Uh, pretty much my worst week that I've had in a very long time. Uh, on the main slate, I play five lineups for, for main slates, and I did not cash any of my five lineups, and I think you can probably guess why. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> join the club. We'll talk about it a little bit later on. Uh, not not the best week for, for your boy right here either. Uh, how did we do in week seven, Sia? We did okay. Uh, it was also a losing week for me. I mean, I did have some some decent caches in in cash and GPPs. But listen, when, when you are your focal point is being creative in how you stack the Kansas City Chiefs, it's not going to go well for you when they can't beat the third and fourth corner the entire game. I mean, it's just one of those things that still to this like to this moment, I'm just so confused by the fact that they couldn't figure anything out over four quarters even in garbage time. I mean, we know even bad teams and bad quarterbacks like Jalen Hurts, they can function well in garbage time. You know, any Jared Goff, but for some reason, Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and McCole Hardman and Daryl Williams, they somehow couldn't generate anything. So credit to Tennessee. They were obviously super ready for that game. Um, but yeah, it's going, you know, when you're invested that heavy in that game, it's going to be a disappointing week. Any given Sunday, right? That's the old cliche. How about this? The Titans have now beat the Chiefs and the Bills in back-to-back weeks. They also lost to the Jets earlier this season. So just think about that, right? Like, it's not an easy game that we're playing here, NFL DFS. Let's start out with our cash game review. As always, you can listen to us on any connected podcast device. But if you'd like to see a visual of the lineups that we're discussing, you can watch along at youtube.com slash fantasy football today. Make sure to subscribe. An overview of the cash game slate. Um, Fade Cooper Cup at your own risk. He now has 30-plus DraftKings points in four of seven games this season, priced all the way up to 9K, uh, the highest-priced player on the slate in Week 8. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. The chalk running backs let us down. The top four owned in cash games this week all put up a snowflake. Daryl Henderson, Chuba Hubbard, Derrick Henry, Daryl Williams. And this is what a pedestrian game can look like for Derrick Henry when he's not running efficiently, when he's not breaking off these long runs, not catching any passes. Uh, really, it was A.J. Brown had a monster week, so that had something to do with it. He even threw a touchdown and still managed uh, to put up the snowflake there on DraftKings. Quarterbacks did not matter. 13 different quarterbacks put up 20-plus fantasy points this past week. Five of them were priced at 6 k or less. It doesn't necessarily mean that will be the case every single week, but... That was the case for last week. We had a lot of uh, lower-priced quarterbacks who performed quite well. We will go from worst to first, which unfortunately, Mike, means we will start with you, who put up 99.84 in your cash game lineup. And we talked about it. You stacked up the Chiefs. You do what you tell us you're going to do here on the podcast. You went with Patrick Mahomes, Darrell Williams, Tyreek Hill, Miko Hardman, and you brought it back with A.J. Brown. And... See, you hit it. Like, 
credit to the Titans defense. They're playing with a bunch of pieces down in their secondary and they were awesome in this game against Patrick Mahomes and I hope Mahomes is okay but I'm actually like happy that the Chiefs are not on the main slate this week because like they've got stuff going on and we need to figure it out Mike what is going on with your Kansas City Chiefs I have no idea what's going on with the Chiefs here I honestly I don't know how they only scored three points and weren't able to at least put up 10 to 14 points in this game uh Sia mentioned at the top of the show just Kind of crazy that they weren't able to figure out anything throughout four quarters in this game against a defense that's okay at times, not great, uh, in such a positive scoring environment overall. Uh, yeah, totally, to- total disaster for the Chiefs, total disaster for me in this one. I have to go back and look and see the last time I had a cash lineup that failed to put up 100 points. Um, obviously, you can see we're heavily invested in this game. Uh, with the, the double stack and the running back for the Kansas City Chiefs with Mahomes. Uh, as you mentioned, Daryl Henderson did not get there either. Uh, Cardinals defense was fine at 11. A.J. Brown at 30 was nice, exactly what we wanted to see there. Uh, the Chiefs just never really got it going, and therefore this lineup didn't really get it going. Uh, as you mentioned, fade Cooper Cup at your own risk. I ended up fading Cooper Cup in this lineup, my alternative cash lineup that I play in about 30% of my cash games. I went with Cooper Cup in that one, but not much of a better result. But I wanted to show this one because it was the cash game lineup that I played the most, and I thought it was kind of funny that I failed to hit 100 points with this lineup. All right. Uh, yeah, look. This game had the highest point total on the slate. I mean, 57 point total. And uh, I believe there was only like there was only one or a couple other games that that were over 50 last week. So I I think it made sense to target the highest uh, projected total on the slate. But ultimately, the Chiefs did not hold up their end of the bargain. The rest of the lineup, you mentioned Daryl Henderson, Snowflake did not come through. It was all Cooper Cup in that game. Rashad Bateman at wide receiver, OJ Howard at tight end uh, and the Arizona Cardinals defense OJ Howard kind of just ran bad too because like they put up all these points and he was wide open in the end zone and Brady just missed him like Brady had a good game he threw four touchdowns but was still kind of off with some of his throws Mm -hmm. so he just kind of ran bad there uh, with OJ Howard I wanted to bring up you know in hindsight you know none of us use Foster Moreau and you know he's a min price tight end the problem was he was playing in the afternoon slate. We didn't know for sure that Darren Waller was going to be out. We had that report you know, late Saturday night into Sunday morning that it looked like maybe Darren Waller was more doubtful than questionable, but we still kind of had that up in the air. Uh, see, what do you think about the decision that we all faded uh, Foster Moreau? Because this is a team that likes to throw to the tight end, and this is someone that they've used in the past, and they've actually talked up at, at times. So uh, it seems like a pretty bad decision by all of us to not play Foster Moreau. It depends what your lineup construction is, and it depends how many guys you were going to be leaning on in that four o'clock slate. Because like this lineup, for example, it's mostly one o'clock guys, other than if if memory serves Daryl Henderson and and OJ Howard. So yeah, I, I suppose you could have pivoted, but it's really hard when there's only a handful of four o'clock games and and you're still unclear as to who's starting at tight end after one o'clock hits. So the preference there is that you have the information before one o'clock and, and you can make the pivot or that there's a handful of four o'clock games that you're actually invested in from a DFS standpoint. So to your point, Frank, yeah, I mean, it, it would have been better to, to to pivot to Foster Moreau for sure. But again, so much of the investment for us and and in this lineup in particular was that one o'clock game. And so it was just there were very few pieces to pivot from. Yeah, I mean, look, even if you get down from OJ Howard to Foster Moreau, right, you save nine hundred dollars. What do you do? Where do you spend that nine hundred in this lineup? Right. It's like Daryl Henderson 
he was 45% owned and he was in an absolute smash spot, double digit favorite at home against the Detroit lions. Like, you know, he, he ran bad for sure, but it's just what, like, where do you go up from in this lineup? Like, who do you, who do you spend up at once you get down to Foss Moreau? So Moreau was a great play. Uh, it's just, I think you're right about uh, roster construction there. Mike, I hate to do this to you, but unfortunately you are week sevens. The who? The her. I've had it a bunch, so I'm used to it. Uh, it's it's about time that we we spread the wealth a little bit here when it comes to our Lihu Zahir. All right, I'm going to pull up my lineup here, my cash game lineup. And uh, I mentioned we're going from worst to first, which means that Sia obviously was our best once again here in week seven. Uh, so let's see what I got here. And I also went with the Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. I went with Patrick Mahomes, Darrell Williams, Mecole Hardman uh, in that Chiefs game. Did not bring it back with A.J. Brown. And you notice, I don't have Cooper Cup here in this lineup. And I started with Cooper Cup here. Uh, but, you know, once Patrick Mahomes let us down, I, I completely swapped. I swapped off of Cooper Cup, Darrell Henderson, and O.J. Howard. And I went to DeAndre Swift, DeAndre Hopkins, and Dallas Goddard. And it actually turned out to be the right call because my swap put up about seven more points, but it just, it wasn't enough. So, uh, Sia, I'll start with you here. What do you think about the decision to swap from those three, even though it didn't come through? So who are the three that you swapped to again? So I went from Cooper Cup, Daryl Henderson, and OJ Howard to DeAndre Swift, DeAndre Hopkins, and Dallas Goddard. So Swift was at 10.5%, and I got Hopkins at uh, 4.5%. Yeah, and that totally makes sense because, I mean, if you had played DeAndre Hopkins from the jump, I probably would have questioned that given the target share. But yeah, given what your position was, it's just the perfect time to late swap. And and you killed it with DeAndre Swift. In fact, I did a lot of late swapping with my dead lineups too when we talked about this You know, during um, the Sunday games. Um, if I wasn't already invested in Swift, I was switching on to him because down from Daryl Henderson or some of these other running backs that were super popular. And I loved Swift in the first place. So I think that was a really great pivot. And obviously, if Hopkins smashes, you know, he's only four and a half percent owned. So that that pivot there, that late swap makes a ton of sense. So, yeah, I like what you did there. I wonder if. hmm, Yeah, I, pro- I definitely could have fit it in. So I think the play would have been to instead of go to Goddard, I probably should have went to Foster Moreau. And then go up to Cooper Cup, but then I still have a bunch of salary left, and I don't really know where I would. Maybe you just leave the salary on the table at that point, Mike. What do you yeah. think? Like, well, with late swap, yeah, that's that's just going to happen. I mean, right. you're, you're again, you're you're concerned with being against the field, so it's very likely that if you're, you're late swapping multiple players, that you're going to leave some money on the table. Well, the thing is, right? Like, if I have Cooper Cup, he's whatever. He's like 40 percent owned in this contest. Uh, Foster Moreau, I think, wound up being like fifteen or eighteen percent. So. I don't know if that still gets me there just because those those players are so owned. Mike, what do you think about that? Should I have gone with uh, Foster Moreau and Cooper Cup instead of Goddard and DeAndre Hopkins? Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, you probably should have, but it's it's easy to say that in hindsight. And really, were you even considering Foster? Like, that's the that's the real question in this spot. Like, for instance, this week, I was so checked out. I Obviously, I was traveling, but I after the Chiefs game, like, I... It was already a, such a lost cause that I didn't bother looking to even look at making any swaps personally, uh, just because I knew in my main team I also didn't have any Cooper Cup. It just it wasn't going to be a good scenario for me. So I think in this case, you generally want to get different, and I do think that you should not worry about the salary remaining at all in these situations because if Foster Moreau, if he was playing a starter's role 
normally, he would not be that cheap, right? So it's easily, you, you can get easily distracted by seeing a lineup that leaves $2,000 on the table, but that's still probably the right play uh, in a lot of these instances. Now, as far as would you have gone up from Hopkins to Cooper Cup, I would say, yeah, you probably should have gone up to Cooper Cup just because we've talked about how great he is. He's been deadly consistent. If it was someone, say, like Tyreek Hill even, who's more volatile in that spot and also going to be super popular, then I think it's fine to make sure that you're really playing that ownership and leverage game and maybe just play Moro and DeAndre Hopkins, who you liked and swapped to. But in the case of Cooper Cup, it's a lot. You know, It's like swapping to someone like Devontae Adams, frankly. It's just someone who's just like so consistent, incredibly high floor, incredibly high ceiling, where you know someone like Hopkins has a much wider range of outcomes, which is what you're generally looking for. So as far as Moro, it just matters. Were you even considering swapping to him is the question, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and not really. And, and I think, you know, that's probably a mistake in, in hindsight, right? Like, probably should have realized, I mean, did he have more upside than someone like Goddard? You know, Goddard still played a pretty substantial role, and we'll talk about him uh, for week eight a little bit later on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's easier to say now in, in hindsight, but uh, I would have, originally, the original lineup had uh, Cooper Cup in there, and I thought it was pretty egregious that I didn't have Chris Godwin in there, too, because, like, I liked him and I talked him up last week multiple times, how low his salary was. And then Antonio Brown is ruled out. The problem is that once you pay up for Patrick Mahomes and you pay up for Cooper Cup and you pay up for Daryl Henderson and Calvin Ridley, then you don't really have enough salary to get Chris Godwin in there. So I think the play is you go down at quarterback uh, to like a Jalen Hurts and then it's easier to get up to Chris Godwin from someone like Miko Hardman, who I ultimately had uh, in the cash game lineup there for some correlation with Patrick Mahomes. All right, let's get to see you. He is, he finishes first among us in cash games this week. He puts up 145.68, and that is without Cooper Cup, saved by AJ Brown, Mike Gusecki, and the Giants defense in this lineup. Mike, uh, see you. Who else did you have here? Yeah, so I mean, starting with Lamar, I I, I just think um, I actually had a lot of Lamar in GPPs too, and that ended up costing me a bit. But yeah, I mean, Daryl Henderson and, and Daryl Williams were the gigantic disappointments. I didn't have Daryl Henderson as much in GPP, but I did have Daryl Williams kind of everywhere because I loved his price and I loved just the game script in general. I thought he'd get a lot of opportunity. But we talked about how good AJ Brown was. I mean, no, no need to discuss that. Rashad Bateman was was great salary relief. You know, obviously owned by half the field, but. He pretty much came through. I think Gasecki was was the guy that really sort of turned it around for me. I think we know at this point that there's a couple tight ends in the NFL that aren't actually tight ends. They're actually wide receivers in terms of where they line up. And Gasecki is definitely one of those guys. I'll admit, I didn't play a lot of him in GPP, and I really wish I had. But uh, Gasecki is just one of those guys I think we're going to need to start turning to on a much more routine basis, uh, particularly in cash games. So then you got Devontae Adams as well, of course, who had an, an okay game. And then that Giants D really came through. That was sort of my punt D. I believe they were 2,500 on DraftKings. So this just got me over the line. Believe me, this, this is no impressive lineup. But fortunately, because I had Lamar Jackson and because of because of like I have some icicles here, but a lot of my guys didn't do great, but they did just well enough. And I'm talking about Lamar Jackson, Rashad Bateman, and uh, Devontae Adams. They did just enough to get me over the line. Yeah, look, the biggest difference between your lineup and the lineup for Mike and myself this past week was quarterback, right? Like Patrick Mahomes. And again, it's it's hard to project him having that bad of a game. You would imagine if he plays nearly an entire game against that Titan secondary. Like, there's no way his floor is nine points, right? So right. Uh, that's just the main difference, where if you ha- if we have a Lamar or a Jalen Hurts and then we use that salary elsewhere, I mean, that's that's 
you know, how you, how you wind up cashing. Uh, and Frank, full week. disclosure too, sorry to interrupt, but full disclosure, I have, I had another cash lineup that looked almost exactly like Mike's, you know, with Patrick Mahomes and um, Travis Kelsey instead of Tyreek Hill in, in, in my case, but, and McCole Hardman and, you know, Daryl Williams, you know, th- there was a, and of course, AJ Brown, and, and I think one of them might've had Derrick Henry as well. So I, I was invested in that game too. Fortunately, I, I was just slightly more, I guess, diversified and, and for the record, that's both a good and a bad thing. It's good for this show. But when Mike hits, Mike really hits because his his concentration of, of quote, targets or players is a little bit smaller than mine. So when he hits his stacks, it's a huge week for him, which is exactly what you're looking for in GPP. By the way, you're not looking for consistent results in GPP. That's pretty much impossible. You are for cash, but not GPP. What you're really looking for is the major hit, one at every four, five, six, seven weeks. If you hit two or three times in a big way like Mike tends to do, then that that makes really your entire year from an NFL standpoint. So I want to make that clear. If people are not doing well in GPPs in particular – that's not an abnormal thing. What you want to do is be able to hit big on the weeks you actually do well in. And we're not even halfway through the season. So if you're, we, I know there's some people that listen to this show that have done really well. Um, but to the extent you're not that person, keep plugging away at these GPP lineups because even the best in the world, they're not winning big consistently in GPPs. That's just not a thing. Yeah, it, look, it's a super humbling game that we're that we're playing here, NFL DFS, and we mentioned it in the preseason earlier in the season. Uh, there was another week where we got absolutely crushed. Just like it's going to happen, right? Like even even the best, and I, look, I'm not one of the best. I would consider you two, uh, you know, two of the best players, but uh, like it's going to happen. Uh, so just just keep that in mind if if you got off to a slow start here in the first half of the NFL season. I did just want to quickly talk about Rashad Bateman, who was 47% owned and. Uh, like people are going to look at that and say, wow, I mean, like that's, that's way too owned. I, I mean, I think his role is worth that at this point, 64% of the snaps in his first two games and 18% target share for you know, one of the better offenses in, in football with the Baltimore Ravens. I would do it all over again, uh, at 3,400 at his price. See, you spoke a little bit about Mike Gusecki and Mike, I'll ask you this question. Once we get Will Fuller and Devonte Parker back for the Miami Dolphins, are we still going to... Uh, trust Mike Gusecki the way that we have maybe the past couple of weeks? Uh, I don't think so, but it really just depends on the price point, right? Um, if he has another good game and that price point elevates even more, it's probably going to be a situation to avoid when everyone is healthy. I think the best case scenario, which kind of sucks if you're interested in playing him right now, best case scenario would be a game next week where he literally has one catch for six yards or something like that where he just totally bombs, that, that's what you want, right? You want that if you're looking at investing in him long-term. You want everyone to jump off of him once. You want the price decrease to come, and that's when you're going to want to be able to play him. When you're not going to want to be playing him is after three or four good games, after the salary has elevated, after he has teammates returning. Those are going to be the situations where you're likely going to end up getting burnt by playing him. Um, so, yeah, it's all price-dependent. Like, I wish I could say, yes, we're going to end up playing him, but it's not, I don't envision him being a scenario like Cooper Cup, like Travis Kelsey, like Patrick Mahomes, where you're essentially playing them no matter where the salary gets because of the way DFS salaries are set. Uh, I I think it's still going to be very price dependent. All right, let's move on over to GPPs and the key to cashing in GPPs this week. I saw a lot of winning lineups that included one or multiple of these players, uh, Tua Tungavailoa, DeAndre Swift, Jamar Chase, Jamar Chase, by the way. I mean, the guy takes a quick slant, 
supposed to get mm-hmm. tackled, just kind of like rolls over, keeps you know, like turns into an 80-yard touchdown. He is an absolute freak. Mike Evans scores three touchdowns, and then uh, Kyle Pitts goes off for uh, 160 yards. I think it was seven receptions. All of those players were uh, around 10% owned or less in GPPs this past week. Let's start off with Sia's GPP lineup here. 156.24, and you have a three-by-one with this chief stack, Mahomes, Kelsey, Hardman, you bring it back with AJ Brown, uh, DeAndre Swift, nice leverage off of the chalk running backs that were in a similar price point. You know, Chuba Hubbard and Daryl Henderson and Daryl Williams. He was right in the middle of that six K. He was basically priced all between uh, between all three of those, and uh, obviously has the best game of the bunch. See what happened here in this GPP line. Yeah, I got to be honest. I was a little shocked that the, the just the, the fantasy community at large wasn't highly invested in DeAndre Swift. I, I just loved everything about him in this game. I mean, obviously, he took one big, you know, pass to the house early in the game. So that made a huge difference. But still, game script, like, he again, he's one of those guys that appears to be sort of game script proof, like we talked about last week with Cooper Cup. And again, there's a handful of those guys. I think DeAndre Swift is one of them, in spite of the fact that Jamal Williams gets a lot of run. Uh, with that said, yeah, I mean, obviously the the primary stack didn't really work out for me. Patrick Mahomes, McCole Hardman, Travis Kelsey, um, you know, Kelsey didn't wasn't really as horrible as Patrick Mahomes or McCole Hardman, but he was he was still pretty bad. What saved me here, and this one cashed barely, uh, was DeAndre Swift, AJ Brown, and uh, Chris Godwin. All guys we talked about on the show, but particularly AJ Brown and Godwin, we were all on these guys more in cash than GPP. But obviously, uh, it helped me out quite a bit here. Uh, that Giants D was a big one. Um, you know, these punt Ds tend to work out, I don't know, maybe at a 50% rate or maybe a 40% rate in terms of actually scoring some points for you. And when they do, it can really boost your lineup into the cash. And that that's what ended up happening here. Um, other than that, I expected a much big, bigger game out of James Conner. Chase Edmonds got um, a few more carries than I expected, frankly. I thought the game script would just be a little bit different for Arizona. That was a little bit of a disappointment. But outside of that, listen, we, we say it every week in GPP, if you can hit big on three guys, you can have plenty of snowflakes the rest of the way because those guys are going to potentially get you into the cash. It would be way better if that Kansas City game hit. That lineup would have been kind of amazing, but that's just not how it came out. DeAndre Swift, by the way, he's played at least 73% of the snaps in four straight games. He leads all running backs in receptions and targets this season. And we're starting to see that reflected in his price. He's all the way up to 7,100 here in week eight going up against the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to pull up a GPP lineup of my own. And something you said there towards the end of your analysis, here was that as long as you hit on a few pieces, then you should be all right. And, and that's what I was looking at here. I mean, this is a single entry GPP lineup that I put together. Uh, and I had the three by one. I had Tom Brady, uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin in that game. I brought it back with Darnell Mooney. The Bears pass catchers are just unplayable mm. right now. It's There's no salvaging what's going on right now uh, with Justin Fields and, and Allen Robinson. It's just nothing is there. Uh, but basically, the fact that Evans went off here and Tom Brady had a pretty good game, I was all right playing cash running uh, chalk running backs because we've seen it in the past right like as long as you have one or two players that go off if if your chalky running backs hit or your chalk players hit then I think this lineup would have cashed it's just that you know they they didn't come through this week to Daryl Henderson Daryl Williams and Chuba Hubbard here uh in, in this lineup so Mike what do you think about that analysis right like if we're playing single entry as long as you have a few pieces that are a little bit different uh and a few players that go off like you can have some chalk pieces in your lineup it's just if they if the chalk doesn't hit, then obviously it's it's going to be a letdown. 
Yeah, no, you definitely can get away with it. You'll see it. I mean, you see it every week when I do it as well. Uh, I do keep a super, super narrow player pool across every uh, contest format that I play. But yeah, you really only need two pieces that are below 10%, especially if you're playing these single entry, three max, five max entry uh, tournaments. You really only need to be different in one to two spots uh, or do something different like run the double tight end, um, you know, there's lots of different ways that you can get different. One of the ways you can get different is just simply being very contrarian at defense. Uh, that that really is one way to separate yourself in these tournaments. So, yeah, I would not be intentionally avoiding cash plays that are also your core lineup plays in your cash games. Yeah, look, I, and again, and like there, there's a reason why these are are, you know, as owned as they are and why they are considered chalk plays. Again, it's like in hindsight, I think that the Daryls were in good spots and obviously Chuba Hubbard without Christian McCaffrey uh, going up against the Giants. The Panthers are, are kind of a mess right now too, uh, but we could talk about that a little bit later on. Let's wrap up our GBP conversation here with a uh, lineup of yours, Mike, where you go with Ryan Tannehill and AJ Brown there. You bring it back with Tyreek Hill and Daryl Williams. Um, and then you do have Cooper Cup in this lineup. You have the Giants defense, so kudos to you. We get some fire emojis in there. Uh, Miles Sanders, man, it's just, I think this is just bad luck because, yes, he's 18% owned here, but all this production that you're seeing here, one reception, 30 rushing yards, this happened on basically the first drive of the game, and then you see everything that Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott go on to do after Miles Sanders leaves with the industry, So uh, with the in- injury. So that's frustrating. Um, but yeah, if he stays healthy in this game, I mean, I don't know that you have a, a, a huge lineup here, a huge win, but might have been able to cash. Oh yeah, certainly would have cashed this one. So I play three max entry contest. That's my main tournament of the week. Uh, it's a $150 buy-in. This one only missed the cash lineup or the cash line by about three and a half points, uh, I believe. So yeah, that one was frustrating for sure. Uh, OJ Howard, just didn't get there. I'll play him at 3% owned in this kind of format pretty much all day. Um, and then, yeah, the Chiefs didn't get there. Still heavily exposed to the Chiefs with Daryl Williams, Tyree Kill. Uh, brought it back with A.J. Brown, or I guess have him stacked with Tannehill. Got Cooper Cup in this one. Giants defense was a big winner. Uh, ended up playing quite a bit of the Giants defense uh, this week. And uh, I, I like their performance. But, yeah, Sanders getting hurt really was the final nail in the coffin on this one having a chance to cash. I think it would have cashed pretty easily in this contest specifically. Uh, but yeah, overall this, you could see just not a good week because I keep a, an incredibly narrow uh, player pool as kind of Sia alluded to earlier. See, you, you played the Giants defense. Mike played the Giants defense here. Are we at a spot with Sam Darnold where we just kind of play any defense that's going against him because he is facing the Falcons in week eight? You know, Falcons defense is pretty pretty mad i would i would say they're they're closer to bad uh than than average but 2900 against the panthers are, are we at that spot with sam darnold it, to me we are but if you're asking me if that's my favorite defense under 3k the answer is no i mean if you look at the washington football team at 2100 at denver they create a lot of pressure on the quarterback regardless of their results and by the way their five losses are all to pretty much elite teams you know the the saints of the world the bills the kansas city chiefs the packers like they they don't have a real real bad loss other than the score disparity in whatever game you want to choose but um the, the point is they're going to a denver team these are the types of teams that this defense could actually show up to and they're 2100 it's going to be a very popular defense in my opinion yeah i think so too the other defense i was looking at early on 
uh, for this week is the Seahawks going up against the Jaguars. They are uh, 2,800. Trevor Lawrence has turned the ball over quite a bit here early on in the season. Uh, before we hit the break, let's take a look at our Fantasy Football Today DFS contest winner from Week 7. Shout out to KB Strat for taking it down. Wins $135, scores 201.48, has an absolute monster week here. No correlation, but lots of fire emojis. Tua at 9.3% ownership. I uh, get Chuba Hubbard was blah, but Damian Harris, man, against the New York Jets. He rushes for 100 yards, scores two rushing touchdowns. Uh, you get him at 8% ownership. At wide receiver and flex, you see Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams. Uh, and then with A.J. Brown and Dante Pettis. I mean, we didn't really talk about the, the Giants news that came out. We knew there was a chance Sterling Shepard wouldn't play, but he gets ruled out. And then the next thing you know, we have Dante Pettis at min price. He's 3K. We have Darius Slayton, who is 4K on the slate. And, he, you know, he, he wound up being okay. Uh, but, yeah, Dante Pettis was a great play here. We mentioned Foster Moreau earlier. 3.3% ownership in our uh, FFT DFS contest this past week. And, uh, yeah, that, that will lead to a massive score here in 201.48. Mike, what do you think about this lineup? I definitely think it's interesting. Definitely it helped by being contrarian and not playing anyone really other than A.J. Brown from that Kansas City game. Uh, just not having any Kansas City Chiefs on the roster really, really helped. Uh, I found it interesting playing Tua without one of the pass catchers just because I think the, the pass catchers were playable in terms of the price points that they were at. Uh, but it definitely got there. We, we talked about Pettis just a little bit actually on the Tuesday show, not even on the Thursday show last week. Um, and then the running back combination, I actually think Harris was a great play uh, individually. So it's it got there. It definitely got there. And let me just say this, Frank. This is a really good example of somebody who was just sort of on top of the news in the morning and in the afternoon hours because – I don't, re I don't recall exactly when Ramondre Stevenson uh, was declared inactive. I don't know if it's when inactives came out or if it was before that. But, you know, you could have pivoted right on to Damian Harris because of that Ramondre Stevenson news. And I'm guessing that's what this user did. Maybe he didn't have Harris in his original lineup, but he said, okay, they're playing the Jets. They're at home. He's basically going to be the, the 1A running back or the one running back. So, And then you obviously have the Moreau play there too and Dante Pettis. You know, and, and for the record, anybody that's listening or watching us on YouTube, I truly hope you're following at Roto Frank, at Sia Najad, at Mike5754 because – we like to post a lot of stuff, Frank. I know you post a lot of like statistics and, you know, when it comes to the receivers and running backs and just like some of the stuff that we use on this show. Mike, not only do you do you have DFS content, but you have betting content as well. A lot of that early edge stuff that you do. And I try to do some stuff, too, including retweeting one of our one of our things, one of our um, cheat sheet things. And I added into that retweet, you know, the Don, it might be Dante Pettis week. And honestly, Dante Pettis could have had a much bigger week if this game was competitive. To me, he was one of the best receivers on the field. And I'm talking about both sides of the ball. Obviously, Ridley was better than Kyle Pitts. But you know what I'm saying? Like, Pettis was moving really well. And, and he runs that slant and, you know, takes it for another 30 yards. Like, he can play. And the way he got in his touchdown, the way he got in the end zone, this is a pretty decent receiver. And it's just one of those things, man. If, if you're following the news and the inactives, um, these are the guys you can pivot to. And this user did a great job doing that. No, it's a really good point that you bring up. A, a lot of the plays here come straight from the news. So, yeah, I think it was exactly when inactives came out. So an hour and a half before kickoff, uh, turns out that Ramondre Stevenson is, is ruled out. And then Damian Harris, 5,700 as a touchdown favorite against the New York Jets. Obviously, they go on to, to blow that team out. I, I believe it was 
218 total yards and five touchdowns scored by the New England Patriots running backs combined this past week. So that's like J.J. Taylor and Brandon Bolden. The Jets are just an absolute mess. I also wanted to say, I think this is like the blueprint where if you ever want to spend up for two of the best plays on the slate, this is how you do it. You pay attention to the news and you find those value plays. You find a quarterback that's a little bit cheaper who's in a good spot in a really good matchup. And that's how you get to a tongue of Iloa at uh, $5,500 here and just has that absolutely massive game. And that's how you you fit in uh, two players in, in Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams. Uh, also, I did beat my dad. So take that, although I didn't cast. So he still has that over me. But the Stanford mm. Bowl in Week 7 goes to me. It's the only thing that I won in Week 7. So I will, uh, I will take that very proudly. Let's take a quick break. When we return, we will take a look at Week 8 pricing here on Fantasy Football Today DFS. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, we are back to 12 games on the main slate, though we will be without uh, a few of the bigger-name teams. The Packers, the Cardinals, the Cowboys, the Vikings, the Giants, and the Chiefs. Not really the Giants, but the Chiefs uh, because of Island games uh, in Week 8. The Raiders and Ravens are also on a bye, so we'll be uh, missing out on some big-name quarterbacks there. Obviously, no Mahomes, no Dak Prescott, no Kyler Murray, no Aaron Rodgers, uh, and no Kirk Cousins here on the main slate. We do have one game with a 50-point total, 50 on the nose as of now, according to Caesar Sportsbook. That is the Tampa Bay Bucks at the New Orleans Saints. There are six more games with a total of at least 46 points. So a little bit of a more uh, condensed uh, total tree, I guess. I don't know if that's what you call it, but that's what I'm going to call it. A total tree um, here in week eight. Double-digit spreads. We have three more of them uh, here in week eight. The Bills are 13.5-point favorites going up against the Dolphins. The Rams are 14.5-point favorites at the Houston Texans. And then the Bengals are 10-point favorites at my beloved New York Jets. Let's start at the quarterback position. There is one quarterback that is over 8K on DraftKings this week. That is Josh Allen going up against the Miami Dolphins. He is 8,100. He's the highest-priced quarterback on FanDuel as well. No surprise there. And we know what his ceiling could be. 32 or more DraftKings points in three of his last four games. There are five more quarterbacks in the 7K range. That includes Joe Burrow at the Jets, Jalen Hurts at the Lions, Justin Herbert versus the Patriots, Tom Brady at New Orleans, and Matthew Stafford at the Houston Texans. Mike, what do you think about these higher-priced quarterbacks in week eight, uh, who are some names that are standing out to you? Well, I'll start with the name that stands out the most. It's going to be Jalen Hurts again. He just gets there every single week, no matter what. Uh, it's 7,200. A great matchup with the Lions. Should be a competitive game for him. 
Uh, he's going to stand out the most. And then Matthew Stafford, again, seems to get there pretty much every week. Um, as far as at the top, if you want to play Josh Allen, I think it's fine. I just you, you mentioned it in this last week, how many quarterbacks ended up scoring over 20 fantasy points. It is a position that the, the scoring is relatively concentrated. So when you've got Jalen Hurts and Matthew Stafford on the slate, the way Matthew Stafford slings the football right now, uh, it's kind of hard to justify jumping all the way up to Josh Allen like in a cash game. Obviously, Allen's a fine tournament play anytime he takes the field. But uh, right now, it's Jalen Hurts by a considerable margin. See, I don't want to react too far the other day, uh, the other way, but I mentioned, you know, you could have spent down at quarterback last week. That doesn't mean it's going to be the case, you know, every single week because every slate is different and obviously pricing is going to affect that. But some mid to low end values that stood out to me, potentially Jameis Winston in the revenge game. I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Going up against the Tampa Bay Bucks, though, the Bucks defense has definitely tightened up. He's only 6K here in Week 8. Matt Ryan is going up against the Panthers, a divisional matchup there. He's 5,900, and he has 22 or more DraftKings points in four of his last five. Carson Wentz going up against the Tennessee Titans, another very important divisional matchup. He is 5,700. He has 17 or more uh, DraftKings points in four straight. See, any of these lower-end names that excite you, uh, for this upcoming week, or are you looking to hit that mid to upper tier? Uh, I love week? the mid to upper tier. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll just like, I like Josh Allen. I, I like Justin Herbert. I like Jalen Hurts. And and again, with, with respect to Jalen Hurts, I, I think some people might be like, oh, here we go again. Because I, I had Jalen Hurts with Devontae Smith as my stack, and that didn't exactly work out. But this truly is a matchup where if you're ever going to just hang on to like one last go at it with Jalen Hurts. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, he hasn't been bad. But I mean, from a stacking standpoint, like this definitely would be the game uh, at Detroit. So I, w- I wanted to point that out. I- I'm along for the ride with Mike there, although he's probably not my favorite. But in that mid-range, there's two guys that come to mind. Ryan Tannehill at Indianapolis. I kind of like that one. I think that one could be... Um, I think it has more shootout potential that, than people realize. Uh, the, the Colts aren't very good against the pass. And Ryan Tannehill looks like... You know, he's kind of found his groove a little bit. He's running the ball a bit more. So he has some touchdown equity and just some rushing yard equity. But he also has A.J. Brown, which who looks to be fully healthy. We'll see about Julio Jones. Um, So I like him. The only other guy I'll mention here is Trevor Lawrence, all the way down at 5,500. They're coming off a bye, and they're at a Seattle defense that is just not very good. It's tough to play at Seattle, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, Jameis Winston, you know, just they couldn't do anything to stop that that just like pitch and catch to Alvin Kamara. And and we know coming off a bye, like guys like LaVisca Chenault might get schemed up for James Robinson. They've got Marvin Jones. So I think that could be a really interesting game to play. All right, let's move on over to the running back position. Two names up over 8K here, and that is Derrick Henry at the Indianapolis Colts. He's 8,900. Alvin Kamara going up against the Tampa Bay Bucks, 8,700. We thought the Bucks had this awesome run defense, or maybe Khalil Herbert is just amazing, uh, but they looked a little bit more vulnerable to the run last week. Uh, Kamara's coming off a game with 30 touches and 10 receptions. A few mid-tier standouts. This Daryl Henderson thing, I know he didn't come through last week. This is wild. He is 6,500 as a 14 and a half point favorite against the Houston Texans, a team that allows the second highest yards per carry to running backs this season. Uh, you can attack them on the ground. And uh, just Daryl Henderson's usage this year, it's like consistently playing over 75% of the snaps on an, on a great offense. So 
his price just seems completely egregious at 6,500. Uh, Mike, what do you think about the the higher priced running backs here uh, and, and the fact that Daryl Henderson went down in salary despite his awesome usage this season? Yeah, it's interesting they went down in salary. He's certainly going to be in the player pool. Um, DeAndre Swift, we talked about him a, new, a number of times. He's going to be in the player pool as well, especially because he's going to be playing against Jalen Hurts. Uh, so it's going to be a very natural bring back and game stack in general. So I like both of those two guys near the top. I will not be playing Derek again. Just we're going to allocate that salary cap to uh, Cooper Cup this week, most likely. So not going to have the room for that. Um, one guy that kind of stands out a little bit is Michael Carter for the Jets. Uh, 4,900. The game's going to be competitive slash in a situation where they're trailing against this uh, Cincinnati Bengals offense. Look at his involvement in the passing game, and it is nice. Uh, nine targets, eight catches, 67 yards last week. He's been targeted at least three times in every single game. Uh, I think that's going to continue as they get into a very similar script to what they saw last week against the New England Patriots. Uh, they're going to have that same thing here against Cincinnati. So I think that he's an interesting value play as of right now before we get any additional injury news that uh, opens things up a little bit. Yeah, I like that value call on Michael Carter. Uh, he played a season high 72% of the snaps last week, and that was with the Jets coming off the bye. So uh, Robert Sala, you know, he's he's done a pretty awful job to this point. But something he said last week was that they were going to get their best players on the field coming out of the bye, and I would consider Michael Carter one of their better players. So uh, they they put their money where their mouth is, and he had 19 touches. He had eight receptions in that game, and, and catching the ball is something he did a lot at North Carolina. So uh, that is um, that is definitely within his skill set. I don't know who's going to start a quarterback yet, yet for the Jets, but I don't think it really matters. Like if Joe Flacco is the quarterback, he is he's a check down machine as well. Uh, a few other names in that mid to upper tier. See if that stood out to me. Austin Eckler, he's 7,900. He's going up against the Patriots. And uh, we just mentioned what Michael Carter did last week. Both he and Ty Johnson combined for 14 receptions against this Patriots defense. And we know Austin Eckler, one of the best pass-catching running backs in the NFL. Joe Mixon, huge favorite here against the Jets. He's 6,900. Patriots absolutely destroyed the Jets last week. James Robinson, uh, you mentioned, a a player that can catch passes out of the backfield. He's got a 10% target share. For the Jaguars this season, he's 6,600 going up against the Seahawks. Uh, And then Damian Harris. So the Chargers are interesting because they basically dare opposing teams to run, and they are allowing the highest yards per carry to running backs this season. If there's anything that Damian Harris can do well, it's run the ball on the ground. Like, forget about pass catching. He is a good runner of the football. Uh, So this looks like a good spot for him against the Chargers. What do you think, Sia? Yeah, I like Damian Harris. I, I, I think I like your other ones a little bit better. I wonder if coming off the bye, the Chargers have a, a little bit um, nuanced of a defensive scheme against what what appears to be a, a, a passing game that really isn't there yet with Mac Jones, but a running game that's pretty fruitful. So I, I, that makes me a little nervous. As far as Mixon is concerned, yeah, he's going up against the worst run defense. I wonder how much runs Samaj P. Ryan's going to get if and when that game sort of gets away from them. So it's just something to consider. Obviously, we always say, well, how does it get away from them, right? It might be because of Joe Mixon, but it also might be because Burrow throws to Jamar Chase or T. Higgins, who, by the way, T. Higgins had 15 targets last week. He was one of our value plays at 4,900 and really should have kind of crushed it, not like Jamar Chase, 
case, but he should have had a much better game. Um, as we go down the board, though, just a few guys I like. I, I agree James Robinson, agree Daryl Henderson. I think Elijah Mitchell is interesting just because of the price at 5400 Zach Moss at 5200 especially if that game gets away from Miami. I could see, even though Josh Allen usually throws no matter what the game script is, I could see Zach Moss at 5200 returning value. And then one guy I just want to bring up, I think we have to wait to see how the week matures and what we hear from Philadelphia. But, you know, Kenny Gainwell is 5,000 and Miles Sanders isn't going to be playing. We know Boston Scott probably gets at least half of the carries, if not more, in terms of that first and second down back. But I think just inevitably, Gainwell has to be worked in a little bit more. And so at 5,000, I think he's interesting again at Detroit. Uh, yeah, and I wanted to mention Khalil Herbert, too, because uh, the guy goes up against Tampa Bay in a game that they get absolutely crushed, and he rushes for 100 yards. The first running back to rush for 100 yards against Tampa Bay's defense since Dalvin Cook did it last year. So Khalil Herbert is in some good company right now. He played a ton of the snaps, basically saw all the touches, even with Damian Williams back in the lineup. So uh, Herbert at 5,400, I think, could definitely be in play. Elijah Mitchell, I like that call, too. He's not really going to catch passes, so... Maybe a better play over on FanDuel, where it's half PPR and you want touchdowns. But uh, yeah, I do like that call, uh, given his salary. Let's move on to wide receiver, the highest priced player on the entire slate, Cooper Cup. Fade him at your own risk. He is 9K on DraftKings. The next closest wide receiver on the slate is Stefan Diggs, going up against the Miami Dolphins at 8,100. Uh, in terms of the mid-tier, It seems like everything is so bunched up this week. We have 17 wide receivers that are priced between 6,100 and 7,700 on DraftKings. And that's ranging from Antonio Brown on the low end to Mike Williams on the high end. So there's a lot of talented wide receivers in that mix. Uh, Mike, uh, Cooper Cup, we mentioned his name, obviously a ton already today. Stefan Diggs is the next one up there. And we just have like this huge glob of wide receivers. Is there anyone that stands out? Yeah, I mean, Cooper Cup obviously stands out. We're playing him. Uh, The two names that stand out that I think are going to be ultra high variants are going to be T. Higgins and Michael Pittman. Uh, T. Higgins, we saw this in certain spots. We're like, we know he's a great play. We know that uh, he obviously is a favorite target. If this game gets out of hand, it could be like two weeks ago when he stood on the sidelines for half of the game. Uh, So ultra high ceilings, massive uh, range of outcomes on him. I like him a lot, though, uh, in this spot as of right now. And then Debo Samuel, for me, is the other guy. At 7,400, I think that if for some reason you're not playing Cooper Cup, you're probably going to want Debo in your lineup. I'm going to end up playing both of them. But if you're not playing up for Cooper Cup, you're going to want someone like that that has the ability to match him in terms of ceiling on any given day. Uh, I think this game with Chicago could be a pretty competitive football game. They are on the road. So I, I still love Debo Samuel's involvement, really, no matter who the quarterback is. So he's probably my second favorite. And then Michael Pittman, uh, the, you know, Sia mentioned this game with Tennessee could turn into a shootout. Uh, I think that Tennessee will sell out and try to stop the run uh, with Jonathan Taylor, make Carson Wentz beat them through the air. Pittman doesn't have extreme target volume, uh, but he always seems to get there. He has a knack for making the big play. Uh, and, and with that price point still at 5,300, uh, you know, frankly, in a game that can be a shootout, he's a 6,000 plus dollar wide receiver. So you are getting some good value 
at 5,300. So as of right now, it's going to be Cooper Cup, Samuel, Michael Pittman are probably going to be three of the core wide receiver targets. Yeah, I'm right there with you with Debo Samuel. Jimmy G's first game back as a starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Even in the pouring rain, we all saw what happened in Sunday Night Football. Samuel goes off seven catches, 100 yards, a touchdown on 11 targets. He's currently third in the NFL with a 34% target share. A few other names that stood out to me. Jamar Chase, if the Bengals are going to get up, I think it's because of their best players. Uh, he is 7,500 at the Jets. A.J. Brown, if you know Michael Pittman is doing some stuff, I think, again, this is a competitive game, big divisional matchup. He is at the Colts, 6,900. I think it's a, a matchup that he can take advantage of once again. And then a few lower-priced players, Pittman, T. Higgins, I like those calls. It looks like Dawson Knox is not going to be able to play this week, which means just give me the cheapest of the Bills wide receivers that are going to be on the field. And that's Cole Beasley. Maybe Gabe Davis, too, as like, you know, just a long shot. But Cole Beasley's only 4,900, had a really big game right before the bye, scored a touchdown. Uh, And I did want to mention Jerry Judy making his return. Going up against Washington, that secondary uh, could be had. And he's only 4,900. So a few names there for you, Sia. Yeah, I, I like all of those. Um, I'll say this, you know, towards the top, I, I think I really like Stefan Diggs at home against Miami. I think this is a game, again, Buffalo is coming off a bye, right? So I think they're really going to be working Stefan Diggs. And even if the Miami corners are healthy, you know, when th- when this game gets away from them, which it will, um, I think they're going to be feeding Diggs through all four quarters regardless. So I like him. I love the A.J. Brown call. I like Deontay Johnson quite a bit at Cleveland. I mean, now we're, we're in sort of the months now where we do have to like check the weather in Cleveland and make sure there's no disasters. But I think Deontay Johnson is going to continue to be a target machine. And this, this Cleveland secondary just flat out isn't very good. So uh, going down the list though, I mean, I, I think as far as Michael Pittman is concerned, I think he's going to be the highest owned receiver on the slate. He makes so much sense. And honestly, he's just, he's just way too low from a price standpoint uh, in a game that's one of the like only handful of potential shootouts against uh honestly the, the Titans secondary was so good last week but I really think that was a, a problem with um with Andy Reid and and uh, who's the offensive coordinator I'm forgetting his name for the Kansas City Chiefs I I can't remember his name right now but but the point is that Frank Reich is going to scheme up receivers in space I think much better than the Chiefs did last week so I'm not worried about that secondary whatsoever. Yeah, you caught me off guard there. See, we're all just looking at each other. We all know him. We've seen him a bunch of times, but that's Eric Bieniemy with the uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs there. Uh, all right, let's move on to the tight end position. Kyle Pitts is the highest-priced tight end on the slate. He's going up against the Carolina Panthers. 6,300. The guy's out here lining up outside, out, out wide, playing like a wide receiver, making one-handed catches down the field. Seven catches, 163 yards on eight targets last week for Kyle Pitts. Dallas Goddard. At the Detroit Lions, he's 4,700. I like the price tag. His first game without Zach Ertz, he posted season highs in snap percentage, route percentage, and his slot route percentage. So he's on the field. He's running those routes, and obviously slot routes are very valuable for tight ends. Ricky Seals-Jones, kind of like the Daryl Henderson of tight ends. Like I know he's not going off, but he's doing enough at his cost, and they're just not raising his price. So he's at Denver. He's 3,800. Back-to-back weeks, he has played all of the snaps for Washington. 100% of the snaps. He has a 17% target share dating back to week four. Uh, Mike, to me, this this price is just still too low for RSJ. Yeah, the price is too low on Ricky Seals-Jones. He's going to be my favorite 
ta uh, target there on a non-Jalen Hurts lineup, I'll probably be stacking Dallas Goddard with Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is going to be the top quarterback for me this week. So I like those two guys a lot. And then we've kind of talked on that uh, – the Seattle-Jacksonville game just a little bit. And I wanted to mention in the quarterback section, I like both Trevor Lawrence uh, and, uh, gosh, I'm blanking on the name. I just Geno Smith. Geno Smith. Geno Smith, yes. It's so gross. But if there's a game that Geno Smith is going to have the game, I think that it's got a lot of shootout potential against Jacksonville. Um, so I like both of them, but what I'm trying to say here is I like Dan Arnold, 2,800 mm -hmm. on DraftKings. Uh, I think you could pair him with Trevor Lawrence. I think you could play him on his own, uh, at 2,800. I think it opens up just enough salary to make sure that you're getting Debo Samuel and Cooper in the lineup with whatever quarterback you want to play. Uh, I, I think Dan Arnold, if you're not, you know, going with Dallas Goddard stack, you're not going with Ricky Sills Jones. I'm going to drop all the way down to Dan Arnold at 2,800. All right, see, I don't know if there's anyone left at the tight end position that you want to talk about. We might have hit on all of them already, but now's your opportunity to talk about them. I mean, I'm I'm so mad at Mike for stealing my thunder on Dan Arnold because that that's <laughs> truly where I was going with like my super clever play. So I love that the, the guys at the top. I think there's a couple to consider, especially if you're stacking. Um, and it, maybe Mike said this, but if you're stacking that Philly Detroit game, I think Hawkinson is definitely in play. Um, the Eagles can't really cover the tight end. We would have seen that with Waller. We certainly saw it with Moreau. So that's just uh, ample evidence. But but they you know just this whole season they haven't been good against the tight end. And Mike Gesicki, like listen at five thousand, I don't think that's too expensive especially in a game that that is probably going to be high scoring and i think a probably going to get leaned on by Tua among one or two other pass catchers so i like him quite a bit but yeah dan arnold is one of them and of course dallas goddard is one of them as well let's just wrap up here with a few thoughts on the thursday night football showdown slate between the packers and the cardinals the cardinals are up to six point favorites with a 51 point total why is the spread climbing that high that's because Devonte adams was placed on the COVID list and is likely to miss this game Mark has Valdez Scantling. There's a chance that he can return and play in this spot for the Packers. Uh, and then Alan Lazard is 5,200 on DraftKings for showdown. Uh, Aaron Jones definitely could be more involved. He's up at 9K. Uh, Zach Ertz in his debut last week scored a touchdown, 18% target share. He is 6,200 in this spot. Mike, any advice, any plays for this showdown slate? Yes, uh, things are getting a lot worse for the Green Bay Packers as Alan Lazard about 10 minutes ago was put on the COVID-19 list as oh, well. No. They have more more issues uh, in this game. So if Marquez Valdez-Scantling is available in any way, he will be active uh, in this game. If not, we're going to see a whole lot of Randall Cobb. Uh, but yeah, things are not going well for the, uh, for the Green Bay Packers. I want to try and pull up a stat here. Um, I saw someone was tweeting about this earlier today. It was some of the usage. Yeah. So uh, our good friend of the show and friend of the fan, Cummings, was tweeting about this today. The Packers target share in six games without Devontae Adams since the start of 2019, 31% of the target share went to running backs, 19% to wide receiver one, 14% to tight end, 11% to wide receiver two. Uh, and then the remaining 18% to other. But running backs led the target share at 31% in games that Devontae Adams has missed. Uh, obviously, they used to have Jamal Williams, who was a very capable pass catcher. They do no longer, they no longer have him. But AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones, and then Randall Cobb, who's kind of that hybrid guy that will play anywhere, uh, they're going to be catching a lot of passes or at least be seeing a lot of passes on Thursday night. Yeah, Randall Cobb is 3,600. 
on showdown. And then if you're looking at Robert Tunyon, he's 4,600. He actually is coming off his best game of the season, posted uh, season highs in, in catches and yards, and he scored a touchdown in that game. Equinemius St. Brown, uh, maybe he's a name that gets involved. He is $600. They just they don't have anyone left, so it's just whoever is available to play, uh, that's that's who's going to be involved in this spot. Sia, do you have any takes on this Thursday night football game? I love that stat that Mike gave out from Heath Cummings for one. Um, so I, it's definitely, you know, I'm going to be focused on Aaron Jones uh, primarily on that side of the ball, but Randall Cobb makes sense. I think on the other side of the ball, I think I might avoid the running backs altogether because it's just like split carries there. I'm hoping Kyler Murray runs a little bit more, but it might be a, it might be an opportunity to maybe dive back in on Rondale Moore because I just don't think his ownership rostership is going to be very high just considering what he's done over the last couple of weeks and by the way i don't think i'm going to be in on zach Ertz. he had a nice game but very few targets they run a lot of four wide receiver sets i don't think they're going to fully accommodate Ertz by getting him on the field any more than they were doing with their previous tight ends Alrighty, that'll do it for mike and see i am frank thank you all for listening and watching fantasy football today dfs the next time you hear us will be on thursday when we break down the entire main slate here in week eight we will see you then